0: Welcome to our 23rd lesson in the book of Revelation, Thyatira, Satan's Simulacrum. We're going to pick up one slide from the last lesson, which literally combines the last two or three or so lessons, because we need to grasp what is going on because simulacrum is probably a new word to you, certainly was to me, even though it was coined in the 16th century. Now, we'll leave you on the cliff there wondering what that is, but we will define it when we get to it in the lesson, but I need to grab your attention. That's my hook. So, remember, In our last lesson with the graphic, we talked about immorality's broad path. And to recap, these letters to the churches are warnings of how they are going to fail. Not just the individual churches, that certainly is the case, was the case, but churches in general. It's not church history in the fact that you can divide up and say, this is the apostolic church, this is the anti-Sian church, medieval church, etc., etc. You have come with all sorts of ways to try to <clears throat> find a way to to synthesize and, and, and show something is going on with these letters, other than just a letter to a church at a point in time, so that it becomes relevant, for us today, and yet I think pretty much they've gone about it the wrong way, not through any fault of their own, directly, but because they're at the wrong they were at the wrong period of history. See God gives meaning when you 're at the right period of history to understand it if you're not at the right period of history, it doesn't make any sense to you the holy Spirit's not able to inform you about it because you wouldn't understand the imagery. You wouldn't understand the metaphors. That's why Revelation has been such a vague book, because people have not been at the right point of history to grasp the broad brush of events. Now, I could be very much mistaken on this, that I believe we are at the right point of history, at least for where we are at, and that's my emphasis. I'm not saying that these church letters and the book of Revelation and most prophecy is of no benefit to anyone unless you're at that right moment of history, so skip over it, who cares? You can always get something out of it. You always will learn something from it for personal application. Make no mistake about that. You can drop the Bible on the table and flop open any page, and you will get something out of that. It may not be in the context that gives you a, a much better complete historical, societal, spiritual picture of it, or context for it. But you will learn. And people have learned from Revelation down through the millennium. I'm saying we are at that point of history where it's all falling into place, where we're not just looking at mysticism and and special, ooh, and the angels are flying around kind of mentality, but we're looking at it and we can now grasp and understand in a much Better and broader sense than people have ever been able to before at any point in time. So we looked at the pattern and noticed the arrow. It's in the handout. You got to f- follow the handouts, please. The arrow is from God's call from the world. We're all called out of the world. Abraham was called out of his society. He was a society of, he came from a family, probably priests of Sheen or Sin, depending which version of the Bible you read. They, they left Sumer and they went to Haran and established a, a major t- temple there until Terah died. And then Abraham went on into Canaan, as he was originally called to do. The church, Achlesia, called out once. Everyone is called out of the world. That's how you're saved. You're not of the world anymore. You are now of Christ. You've been called out. Now, through the the centuries, especially the last couple of centuries, there's been this broad, almost vicious debate over worldly ways and ways of the world. And what do they mean? And and does it mean I can't play cards and dance and smoke and kiss and drink? and, and, And what are the rules? Because they didn't understand what we are understanding today. Now it's not special knowledge to me. Trust me, I'm not, I'm borrowing this from sovereign nations. I'm being educated by others. I don't want you to think that I'm sitting alone in a room all by myself and I'm not in contact with anyone and I'm just coming up with all this fantastical stuff that no one else has ever dreamt of before, and I'm funneling out because I have the light because I'm special. I learn from others. I may put it together slightly differently because that's how it, Spirit is teaching me, and that is what I try to teach you. Now, I can't teach you if you don't want to learn. Your view of the world if it's light and airy, and you only want to sit down and watch comedies and you want light stuff, and, and I can't take all this heavy stuff, I can't take the darkness, I, that's what the world is. You're looking for redeeming qualities in a world that wants to destroy you at best, enslave you at worst, and you want to be blind about it. I can't help you there. My mission is is to show you the darkness and the hope, which is in Christ alone. You want hope in family. You want hope in job. You want hope in you. That is the simulacrum at work. You have not yet broken away from the delusion. So he's called us out. He's called us out, as he called the Hebrews out, into his tabernacle, into his law. The tabernacle, we call it that, and today they build buildings and slap the word on them. It's just a fancy English word for tent. If your church has tabernacle or temple in in its name, it's, it's because whoever named it didn't understand the function of the tabernacle. David wanted to put it in a building. God didn't need it in a building. This world, this creation is temporary. It was a tent for a reason, because our hope, our expectation, like Abraham, is not of this world, Hebrews 11. We look for a city to come, a world to come, a new creation, a new heaven. We ourselves are new creations, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You want hope, you look for the new creation within you let god work on you to mature it and to blossom and you will always have hope the hope that is within you galatians 220 i am crucified with christ darkness pain nevertheless hope nevertheless i live but the life which i now live i live in christ that is the hope that is the light that is what i seek to show you while the darkness grows thicker around you, trying to overcome you, snuff out your light. Do not participate in it. Do not. Say, I want to listen to the propaganda of the world and let my mind wander where they drag it to. Because your mind doesn't wander purposelessly. There's always a purpose. You may not have a purpose. Trust me. Others have a purpose. That is the whole point of Bernays' treatise on propaganda, which people didn't like that word, so he changed it to public relations. You know, it best is advertising, but trust me, it is everywhere around you, teaching you, guiding you, telling you what to think, telling you what to accept. And even those voices that you think that are clarion calls to truth and morality and conservatism and publicanism or whatever ism is extant in your country and your society. That's not what they're doing. They're just lulling you to sleep. That's what they're doing. But God's tent is where Christ is at. The Ark, the mercy seat. It's all about what Christ did but from their perspective, will do when he comes. They, the Aaronic priesthood, will offer him. He will die at the hands of Gentiles because the Aaronic priesthood approved him as the appropriate sacrifice and gave him up. He laid hands on him. Slapped him, but laid hands on him. That was their function. They identified that he was the sacrifice. the Paschal sacrifice, and we said, it is finished, your new covenant salvation was secured, as well as everyone who came before you who was saved. Satan's job, though, is to move you from God's tent, the true reality, into the world's tent. Now, let's understand this. You start off in the world's tent. God kind of stole you from it when he called you out of it. Satan wants to destroy the church, the clarions of truth, in a land of lies your salvation puts the lie to satan's false reality and he wants to move that church excuse me from god's tent back to his tent and he does this through the balaam effect working in the families from the ground up teaching the children how to rethink through the mothers. And also from the Jezebel effect, using government or societal institutions to legitimize it and guide it, such as education, such as the medical, sociological, psychological systems, to make it all appear real. But it's not. It's a simulacrum. And when you're no longer of value to Satan's plan, he throws you away. Look at the lives of the artists. Both the artists of paint, the artists who photography, the artists of sing. Most of these died terribly. They did their function to pull you off the mark. And then Satan threw them away. He has nothing for you. Oh, he talks about you all the time. But it's insincere. That's the broad path. And we talked about that. Then there's the accountability. And you run into this absolute reality at the moment you separate from your body. But then you will stand and give an account, both Christian at the Bema seed, Second Corinthians 5.10, and the lost at the White Throne. Revelations 20, 11 through 15. So let's get into this. And we're going to have to move rather quickly, even though there's a lot to get through. Excuse me. So we're going to fly. The verses are in the handouts. And And I put verses in here extensively in my lessons because I want you to go and read them. I want you to hold me accountable. If you just sit there and listen, you'll believe anything. And the Spirit's not teaching you much because you're not putting much into it. You know how you learn? You work. You put, you put effort into it, and you get stuff out of it. You go to college, and you're, you're coasting. It's a waste of money. You're getting not, not much out of it. You can go to any school. The worst school in the land. But if you put the effort into it, you get the education out of it. You can go to the best school in the land. You don't put much effort into it. You get nothing out of it. You get a free ride with the right contacts. Now you're thinking like the world. You're not supposed to be doing that as a Christian. You're supposed to be learning not to do that. So Christ begins. And let us go to verse 20, verses 24 and 25 and read them. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until, until I come. We're not going to get beyond that today. Christ lays no burden on other burden on believers, other than believe. Why? He did all the work. He completed his work dying for our sin on the star roofs. There's nothing left to do. That is the picture of the ascending sacrifice, the oldest sacrifice in man's history. Mistakenly, by the English, called the burnt sacrifice, because it was totally consumed on the altar. We're such an imaginative people. But in the Hebrew, it's ascending. It's ascending. It's the olam. It's ascending up to God. That's what Christ did. He ascended up to the Father, offered himself on the true mercy seat before the Father, being examined by the seraphim, make sure that he was really without sin. Otherwise, he would not be able to stay there. And he was. So in Christ, there's no works for us to do. He did it all. We rest in him. Matthew 11, 27 through 30. He did it all. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. In fact, he is the very author of all creation. The father Barat, nihilo, out of nothing produced matter. Christ took this matter and created order out of chaos. He did it. Nothing for us to do. I, man and woman didn't have to do anything. I want you to, to keep the garden. What am I doing? you keep keeping the garden. But it's, it's, uh, it's uh, what am I doing though? Weed, is, just keep the garden. Bring a little, a little more order to it. Use your imagination. But that was not enough for the flesh. Because when we work, we bring disorder. But in Satan's tent, there's only disorder. There's only continual works. But they don't prove your worthiness. You're doing them to try to prove that you're worthy, that you're righteous, but you never succeed. Because the works without the right nature are worthless. See, from your new nature flows, works spontaneously. They don't make you righteous. No works makes you righteous, but they prove that you have put on Christ's righteousness. The laws try to mimic them by proving they are inherently righteous. and of course they fail. That's why. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you are a new creation. Old has passed away. All has become new. Hold until relieved." This is the very essence of hypomene, the endure in Christ. We are the left behind ones until called to Christ, which we call death, or Christ comes for us, the rapture. We are the living witnesses, so that others may see in us what salvation looks like. Now, if you're constantly trying to make yourself look like the world, because you're in the Bible, you don't pray, you don't want to mature, you don't want to do these things, and you certainly don't want to condemn others, so you still act like you did before. How do you know you're saved? It's not by what you speak. Trust me, you speak anything. It's what you do. James makes this abundantly clear in James 2, 18 through 24. You cannot show anybody your faith if you do not have the expressions of that faith. James, limited by the constraints of his language, called them works. But it wasn't works that prove righteousness. It was works that spring spontaneously from Christ's righteousness. And we are thus the beacons of light for the lost. But if you are refusing to be that beacon, how can they ever see Christ? Because Christ works through you to bring the gospel to them. There are those who hold the deep things of Satan, so-called. Now, traditionally, this has been viewed as early Gnosticism. Now, narcissism is, is, is very complex because almost everything of Satan is very complex uh, to keep you confused. Body that, uh, uh, well, it's a way of knowing, special knowing that only the initiates can know. And you need a guide. Now, in, in my lost days, I, I quite a few things. I was a member of. The Rosy Cross, you would know it as the Rosicrucians, but there's the Masons. There's there's a whole slew of these in modern time. In ancient times, here there was the mystery religions. But literally, it's it uh, is a form of Platonism, and Pythagoras and his disciples brought these mythologies together to understand their similarity. And the Greeks of his day killed him for it because he was obviously trying to change their mythology, which is their religion. And you mess with people's religion, they tend to react violently because Satan. That's what he does. He doesn't want you upsetting his simulacrum. If it needs to be replaced, he'll replace it. Thank you very much. But if you don't go along with it, then he replaces you, often violently. But within two or three hundred years of this occurring, and over this period, comes forth the philosophers, Plato. I'd say Socrates, but we're not even sure Socrates was a real person; that he just was not a foil, springing from the mind of Plato, who was a real person. So rather than than write here's what I think, and here's what I believe, and here's what I'm saying. He said, here's what Socrates thought. Was Socrates, he's he, he a dirty, f- filthy old man. You wouldn't like him. And you can't f- find him anyway. But from this Platonism, which later became known as Neoplatonism in various iterations, grew up a whole slew of paganistic mythologies that have flowered into beautiful images today that belie the death and destruction that, lie, that are behind them. But he talks about the deep, the bathos, which the deep is the hidden thing. And the essence of this is negate the real. You negate the real by using the negative to replace God's true reality. And you do this without stating its its own reality elements. And you do this to obtain control. It's all about control. Remember, control. It's not about power. Because all power resides in God as part of his nature, in the Father. It's about control. So Christ says, I lay no burden on you, hold fast. There are those who claim to know the deep things of Satan. What do they know? Well, we're going to take a gander in it because it runs as a black thread throughout man's history. just like the thin red line of the blood of Christ runs throughout the scriptures. The black thread of Satan's hidden things opposes it at every turn. It's the negation of the real. It's been the heart of Satan's plan from the beginning. Now, simulacrum. It means copies of. In this case, copies of God's reality. God has a reality. He explains this reality to us. He does it by example. In Genesis chapter 2, at the creation of man with the... Pres- presentation of woman. We have this glimpse, this this glimpse of this reality. Then we have in Genesis 3 the presentation of Satan's simulacrum to make a copy of this, to replace God's reality. In other words, evil is good and good is evil. That's the essence of it. Because remember, what is the point? You can't destroy God. You have no power. You can't destroy the world. You can't prevent yourself from being cast into hell with a lake of fire or fallen angels into the abysses. You have no power. Thus you can only have control over those who are lesser than you. Hooray. That's us. But if you have no power to prevent your own judgment, what's the point? To try to prove that the judge is unworthy to judge. If you cannot destroy God, and that would be self-defeating because if you destroy God, then you destroy yourself and reality and everything around you. <clears throat> Don't want to do that. Better that than like a fire, though. If there is any such a thing as annihilation, which the Bible makes very clear there is not. The whole point, then, is to show that God is unrighteous and therefore unfit to judge. He violates his own standards, just like all his everything he's created violates his own standards. Now it's a lie. Paul talks about this being a lie and of God being called a liar in Romans 4. Let every man be found a liar, but you are true. But yet the whole essence of Satan is to call God a liar. From the very beginning, he speaks. And you can tell it. I've put together this triangle of other triangles, smaller triangles, and how they all fit together to form this self-reinforcing reality. You know, the more that you push in on a triangle, the stronger you make it. That's the beauty of using triangles in building. The more you push in, the more you strengthen it. until You literally have to crush it. And so we have Satan's path. That was the arrow that we talked about, to move you from God's tent to his tent and then to throw you out of the tent and let you stand in judgment by yourself. He ain't standing there with you. Man and woman in the garden discovered that. The Balaam effect, the bottom-up through the family, the Jezebel effect, government society top-down, providing the structures to strengthen and legitimize it and to guide it, but at the center of it, at the very heart of it, is the, the true plan. It's the negation of the real. So it's to, to criticize God's tent, God's knowing, replacing it with Satan's tent, his gnosis. That's what he wants to do. He wants to guide you so that you keep your eyes fixated on him. Remember, how does a magician work? Look at my hand. Look at the object I'm holding. Look at the object I'm pointing to. Look, look, look. Because that's not where the illusion is at. But as long as you're looking at what I want you to look at, the illusion will work. This is how Satan always works. Then there's the, the negation. The criticizing systemic causes so people demand replacement. And they demand because you have guided them to command now I'm using modern language here, but this is how it works. The emulacrum is a representation of something. Now we know that Satan copies God, because Satan is not the brightest bulb in the universe. None of us are. God put together, I say God, obviously Christ, under the direction of the Father, by Christ's own admissions. Everything I do, everything I say, I learned from the Father, as he was with the Father in eternity past. He agreed to be the sacrifice. Thus he is the monogenesis, the only son, the begotten in Old English, of the, from the father, of the Father. And he's going back to the Father, but not to be absorbed by the Father. That's not how that works. That is how Oriental philosophies, Oriental religions, Buddhism, Confucianism, Sensualism, they want you to believe that, that you go back to the Hinduism, you go back to the nothingness, Nirvana. But you don't go back to nothingness. You don't absorb to be whole with the one because you were never one with the one. Christ was. But Christ didn't go back to to be absorbed by the Father, he will always remain separate and distinct, the link, the bridge between the Father and us throughout all eternity, future. But that is Satan's simulacrum, his lie. He doesn't care what you believe as long as you don't believe God. So he copies God. We are all limited. Romans one, eighteen through 28 sin were finite we borrow from the creation that we see in the early days that was made into placeholders idols we'll talk about that in a moment and rituals but behind that lay the simulacra the negation of the reality See, it purposely distorts God's knowing to transition from his reality to Satan's by becoming less like God's and closer to Satan's final form. Now, today we are being advertised about the coming Great Reset. That's just another iteration of the same thing over and over again. Satan's simulacrums, excuse me, follows well-defined steps. Because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And he does not He does the same thing over and over and over and over again. It starts off with rejecting God's knowables, God's positives. God speaks in positives, absolutes. God is good. Well, they say, no, God is better than good. Good is limiting. God is merciful. No, God is, is beyond mercy. But what is beyond mercy? We can't put it into words. It's beyond. But God says, Christ told the rich young ruler who ran up to him and said, good teacher, good teacher, what must I do? And Christ looked him right in the eye and said, don't call me good. There is only one good, the Father. In other words, if you're going to call me good, then you're calling me God. But you don't really believe that, so don't call me good. And you posit negatives. So you say God is good, but God judges. And thus it's a contradiction because God tells us not to judge, but he judges. Therefore, it's a contradiction and it's the negative. And you tear it down and you tear it down and you tear it down. Uh, They do it constantly. Christ tells us, Paul tells us, the scriptures tell us throughout scripture, discern. The difference between good and evil. Reject the evil, do the good. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. Yet they take out of context Christ's Sermon on the Mount Matthew chapter 7, where he says, judge not, lest you be judged. For with the judgment that you judge others with, you yourself will be judged. Take the beam out of your eye, for you take the speck out of your brother's eye. So you shouldn't judge me. And you're right. I shouldn't pass condemnation on you. That's not my place. That's reserved to the Christ alone. But I can, and I should, and I'm required to understand both the good and the evil, and to reject the evil. So I don't get caught up in Satan's simulacrum. But they use that to attack you, the negative. But what do they give you as a positive in its place? Nothing. It's hidden. And it's hidden in the language. And you need The prophet. The wizard of the wizarding world to guide you through it. And it redefines terms to guide you from God's reality to Satan's simulacrums. And they they confound the terms constantly. Like in their own writings today, the abstract. Now abstract in and of itself means that which is not tied to reality. When you you go from as a child go you know, from concrete you know concrete thinking do this don't do that sky is blue grass is green these are all concrete concepts to abstracts sin my sin good beauty you begin to grapple with these as a team because they're not empirical you cannot use empiricism science to define beauty it doesn't work. You can't use it to define heat, because it doesn't work. You only know heat by what it does, not by what it is. And yet they used the term abstract, put it on its head, and said, these are the concretes, the concrete, the positives, the, the stated things, the noble. And then we can use negation, critical theory. What do you call it critical theory? Because you're constantly criticizing it. You strip away all the books and the verbiage and the baloney and all that it comes down to. It, It comes down to just that, to being absolutely honest for a change. Critical theory is criticizing everything that you don't agree with. And it begins with God and Christ and believers to destroy your faith in God's reality that he is in control. And it comes to the concretes, which are not concretes, because they never define the elements of what they want to achieve, because then you hold, it, hold them to it. And so they say, equality, a better world, a just society, social justice, equality for all. Now, if that sounds like circular reasoning, you just wait. It gets better. See, it's an alchemy. By their definition, science produces truth. Now, we know it doesn't. We had the science wars during the Enlightenment, even up to our own time, because science started out as natural philosophy to prove the existence of God. Well, God is beyond science because science is limited, because of us, to... The empirical, that which is measurable and that which is repeatable. Miracles are beyond science. They don't repeat. Hence, not science. Doesn't mean not real. It means not science. If you're not there when the miracle's happening and all set up and taking measurements, it's still not science (laughs) because you didn't take any measurements. And what are you measuring? By very definition, the miracle is the unexpected. Still, not science. Doesn't mean not real, but they would have you think so. That is the simulacrum at work, the negative, tearing down God's positives. So the alchemy em- emphasizes elusive purposes over concrete knowing. Thus, they talk science, but they're literally talking religion because they're talking scientism. See, science is just a method, a method that does not claim to produce truth. It can't even produce a law. What you call the laws of science were subsumed, not proven. They were the very essence of natural philosophy, by which we know that God is reasonable. In fact, just having the scientific method means that you assume nature is reasonable, that it's not random. Otherwise, what's the point? How do you know from one measurement to another what you're measuring if it is random? You don't. You have already subsumed that it is reasonable, that it is coherent. And by making that assumption, by adopting this, you have subsumed that there must be a reasonableness behind it, hence gone. But scientism is a religion masquerading as science, but it concentrates on purposes. The data is immaterial. You cannot discuss facts to get people to move from scientism to science. They reject the facts. They're meaningless. It's the purpose. It's always about the unstated, the unknown for you, purpose. You must have carbon tax, because carbon is the enemy in the atmosphere how do we know that? Why are you questioning it? Our religion says it is. You must accept it as thus. Once again, circular reasoning. Now, ancient man knew this. We we tend to think ancient man hiding in caves, painting on walls, being stupid, hunting, you know, barely survived. And wow, look what happened. Aren't we smart? We got here. Rather than killing ourselves one at a time, we can kill ourselves by the millions. But they had an image. It's called the Ouroboros. It's a snake eating its tail. Circular reasoning. I say snake because in the Hebrew and the Greek, the word for this creature could be snake. It could be worm. It could be dragon. It could be Leviathan. But it's devouring itself. Because in essence, this is what Satan is doing. This is what sinners do. This is what I did as a sinner, thinking I was so smart, proving myself worthy of God's worst judgment, unrepentant, unchanging. This is the essence of Satan's gnosis, his hidden deep knowledge. It, At its very core, it is circular reasoning. It is thus because I say it's thus. It's like the fossil rock aging. How oh, we know the fossils are millions of years old because the rocks they're in are ma- millions of years old. As y'all just say, well, we know that the rocks are millions of years old because the fossils are millions of years old. And radioactive dating proves they're millions of years old, even though the equations by which I arrive at my answers are based upon assumptions that I have baked into it so that it carries my own bias by the very process. Scientism, masquerading as science. Even carbon 14 dating assumes that you know how much carbon there was at the very beginning. So you know how much carbon was lost over the to give you an age approximation. You're not omniscient. You can't know that. It falls apart. Remember, it's all about negating the real to accept the new, but it's not new. It's been Satan's religion since Eden. Now, I want us to understand that in the world, there have only, only been two religions. Period. That's it. There is Christ, and there's Satan's. Look at all the denominations. Look at all the churches. Look at the Baptists. There There are what? A thousand different flavors of Baptists. No. There is one God, one Spirit, one Christ, one baptism, one church. Go to Ephesians 4, 4 through 8. There is one. If we have made many, it is because we see us through an enigma. doesn't make it right. Just stating the reality of it. And what did the churches do? The persecuted church then became the persecuting church because they did not follow the letters. They were co opted by Satan. Satan always rules by violence. And through Valentinius, Gnosticism came into the church in the second century, it became the basis of Roman Catholicism. And every major denomination has broken away from Catholicism. Greek Orthodoxy broke away from Catholicism. Protestantism and all its variants broke away from Catholicism. Baptists claim they were never part of Catholicism. They've always been the true faith throughout time. Well, that'd be a hard statement to prove, but there has been a faith extant throughout time, and it's the red thread that runs, the blood thread that runs throughout Scripture, Christ. But Satan and his black thread also run throughout Scripture. So you have the faith of Christ, and you have the faith that is not Christ, or in the Greek, Antichrist. That's essentially what that means. Now let's go, since this, this is essential for us to grasp and understand Let's go to First John two, eighteen. 18. Children is the last hour, and we've talked about it. This is the last days since Christ ascended. Until he returns, it is literally the last days because nothing else needs to occur for him to return. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, now we're talking about a specific Antichrist, we talk, and we'll see him in Revelations 13, but he's not the only one. So now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. Well, why'd they go out? The Balaam effect, the Jezebel effect, Satan's path, simulacrum. They have come to destroy the churches. They have come to destroy your faith. They have come and they have forced the believers out of the church. Those believers have to band together. They're still the church, the called-out assembly. But their church, like Church Thyatira, the church at Ephesus, Pergamon, has been taken over. And then when he doesn't need it anymore, Satan just replaces it with a different religion. And even atheism is the no religion is a religion. So they are not of us. Let's go to 1 John 4. Three, Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. It doesn't listen to us. It should, but it does not. In Second John chapter 7, not chapter 7, verse 7, because there's no chapters in Second John. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Man began with Christ. Now, I don't call him Adam and Eve. Because, <clears throat> I call them man and woman. That's where they're actual monikers, labels. Adam is just another Hebrew word for man, that's all. We put a capital on it, or the Greeks did, and it became a name. But it's literally just the Hebrew for man. Man had Christ. Man had purpose. Man had unity. Man accepted woman. And they were unified their responsibilities, but still interdependent and unified, complementing each other to form a one. But that was not to last because man chose Antichrist. 1 Timothy 2.14, woman was deceived, man was not. We're going to see how woman was deceived because it's the same way we're deceived. We remain deceived in the world satan in the form of a serpent now this tells us quite a bit satan cannot take bodily form angels can fallen angels cannot take bodily form they must inhabit a form angels under the power of god can take bodily form to to perform their mission and we see this in genesis with The two angels and Christ in bodily form as a theophany, a a pre-incarnate presentation of Christ in bodily form interacting with Abraham, eating, drinking, talking, etc. You never see that with demons. never see that with Satan, except in the spirit realm when that curtain of reality is taken aside. So in the form of the serpent, Leviathan, Satan's criticizes God's command, his positive, clear command to not eat of the tree of knowledge. In other words, gain knowledge from me. Don't seek other forms of knowledge. Seek knowledge from me. takes us back to Proverbs 1, Proverbs 2, Proverbs throughout the Proverbs. Gain knowledge and wisdom from God. I was with God from the beginning. God the Father doted on me. Come, sample of me. I will guide you. Do not be the simple one. That is destruction. Satan criticized God's command to not eat of the tree, to not gain knowledge apart from him. And Satan responds negatively, critically. You're hearing critical thinking. You should drop that phrase from your vocabulary because it's training you to think negatively. Critical thinking is to criticize, is to tear down. You want to think analytically. You want to analyze the problem, tear it apart in its pieces, and then put it back together to make it better. And he does. Satan does this. He says, did God really say that? And then he misquotes God, moving from one tree to all trees. Let's go look at it. Genesis 3. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, nor touch it. Now, God didn't say anything about touching it. So they both misquoted God. Now, Satan did it deliberately. But once he gets her to misquote God, to doubt God, he can substitute his non-stated concrete purpose of equality. He d- does it because he gives her new knowing by redefining death, negating God's truth. Woman accepts his special knowing in other words, it's based only on his own circular reasoning, and she buys into this. God said, and it's in the Hebrew, it's not, so, it's not clear in the English. You have to literally go back. You can make it clear in the English, but they didn't. But in Genesis 2, what God warned a man was, Dying, you shall die. That's what he's saying there. It's a two-stage two process. You will be in the process of dying. Reference the flesh, as flesh now will terminate at some point. You shall die. You shall. Your soul will die immediately. It will be run, ripped asunder from me, and all that you begot, all the children from you, will be separate. Separated from me by this sin, the sin, what we call the sin nature. And Satan then, he knows exactly what God said, but he restates it. You shall not die. He changes it from a two stage process to a one stage process. You can eat that, your flesh won't die. You're not going to die. And she accepts his guidance. See, she accepts his knowing. He is the guide. She is the initiate. He is leading her into the special knowledge. Auroboros knowledge based only on what he says. Circular reasoning. It's how Satan talks. It ignores the soul. It focuses only on the flesh, on the, quote-unquote, empirical. We're going to pretend the soul doesn't exist. Psychology. Which, once again, is circular reasoning. Because while they say that the soul does not exist, there is no God, there isn't anything, you have a mind. Where's the mind covering? It lives in the brain. Well, how do chemical processes produce thought? How do they produce memory? Don't worry about it. We're going to negate the soul. We're going to criticize the soul because that requires God. We're going to say the mind. What is the mind? Don't strain your brain thinking about it. Scientism supports the idea of the mind in the brain. Science cannot show that there is any process by which that can occur. woman convinces herself, accepting the new knowing, gnosis, justifying Simulacrum to be as God. That's what she wants to do, defining her own morality. Loss of the flesh, loss of the eye, the pride of life. Evil is now good because she has adopted the Ouroboros circular reasoning and has entered into Satan's simulacrum. She has left God's reality of walking in faith. She's now split asunder from God, and she is the only one option. You're either with God or you're anti-God. There is no neutral ground. You believe there's neutral ground simulacrum. It ain't there. It's a logical fallacy. You can believe anything you want to till the moment the soul leaves the body. Then you're confronting them with absolute reality. And you're going to realize it ain't there. But she convinced herself through the lust of the eye. It looked pretty. Lust of the flesh. I bet that tastes good. Pride of life. To be as God. Make myself good. I don't need God to make me good. I am good. I don't need salvation. Take away my sin and to heal me. I can heal myself because I can redefine me as good. Welcome to postmodernism. Transitioning simulacrums. The idols are only placeholders. The true idol, true idolatry is covetousness, Colossians 3.5. All works religions have trappings whether they're idols or rituals or or whatever, these are satanic evolutions to achieve his final simulacrum. I can say iterations. Notice it's world socialism or globalism because Satan is all about control. And we see in Revelations 13, it is about the Antichrist and the false prophet to unite everyone together. Now, they don't actually do this but they do unite a good part of it together, then they're going to meet for a war at the mountain of Megado, Mount Carmel, to decide this issue when Christ returns and decides it for them. But do we see this throughout the scripture? And yes, we do. Remember how we start off in our study of Revelation with the first, second, and third ages. The first age It's from creation to Noah's cataclysm. Satan's simulacrum was disrupted by Noah's cataclysm. Satan was so close to achieving his goal through violence, through intermarriage, the Balaam effect, through the development of society and laws, the Jezebel effect, begun by Cain. And so close, there was only a few left. And Noah found grace, and God used Noah. We see it again in the Second age with Babel, Satan again establishes his simulacrum of socialism under Noah, but is disrupted by, or was it disrupted God? God coming down and altering people's knowing. In other words, worldviews. Remember, worldviews, nothing mysterious about a worldview. That is your story. You have developed to justify yourself, to make yourself good. Though you are evil, though you are sinful. So you do not have to be saved in your own mind so you don't seek salvation. God's hagyzo process is to remove that worldview plank by plank, brick by brick, so that you understand that You have built a false structure. And only by the mercy of Christ are you even saved. And now in mercy and love, he is dismantling your facade. And you realize that you rest in his righteousness and walk humbly. Plus, not too happy about that, just to be honest. Satan experiments via various kingdoms with each succeeding kingdom becoming more distorted. God saves his called-out ones to keep the gospel alive. You want to know? Satan, like I said, he's not the font of all-knowing. He's experimenting. He almost achieved it in the antediluvian world. He almost achieved it again in the post-diluvian world. But now God intervened. God's, God's constantly screwing the plan up. And sin hates differences. Sin loves equality. Now, equality means everybody's the same. Make everybody the same, you have to be, everybody's the same to the lowest common denominator. That's slavery. You are a slave to sin. So Satan now, God has scattered people all over the world. But Satan has been slowly drawing them back together. Well, he has to make little kingdoms here, the Hatati, the Mitanni, the Assyrians, the Syrians, uh, the, the various Chinese dynasties, the pharaohs, and he's experimenting. What works best? Well, let's pit the Hittites against the Assyrians. Well, the Assyrians are better. Okay, let's pit them against the Egyptians. Egyptians are better. Then recalcitrant reality kicks in, and the Bronze Age collapses through natural disruptions. Not like the Noah's Cataclysm, the Flood, as people would call it, but several distinct extreme eruptions accompanied by earthquakes that caused a collapse of the Bronze Age civilizations. Only two came through it, the Egyptians and the Assyrians, but they were so weakened. They never attained their former glory. But new ones arose. And we see these listed in Daniel 2. The Neo-Babylonians, the Persians, the Hellenists, or Greeks, and then, of course, the Romans, and each built upon the other. And if you go in my study of Daniel, I, I talk about how that occurred. And so Satan is constantly playing these off. And he has others in isolation. He's testing, he's trying, but they're all the same because they all are works-based they're all violent. They all reject Christ. They all have their own forms of rituals and idolatries. Christ's first advent occurred in the fullness of time to secure the new covenant. This is what I call, well, it's not I. Others have called it recalcitrant reality. Reality that, like Christ, defies Satan's special purpose, knowing. In other words, it shows the lie of Satan's special knowing. Remember, special, it's, it's all about purpose with Satan. Always and only. It is about purpose. It's not about positives. It's about the knowing. The purpose, actually. It's about the purpose. The knowing is a circular reasoning justifying your purpose. Your purpose isn't based on anything more than what you think, you believe, you want. That's circular reasoning. People begin the sentence, I think. Well, what's your data? What, thinking is analysis. What is your data? What are you billing on? Why are you being, and then they attack me. Why are you so negative? Why are you so hateful? Well, I'm trying to understand what you're saying because you said you thought No, it's circular reasoning for them. It's my belief. And from my belief comes this. And this reinforces my belief. That's circular reasoning over and over and over and over and over again. And they cannot break themselves of that cycle. You want to know who's lost? Listen to their reasoning. You want to know the immature in Christ? Listen to their reasoning. The recalcitrant reality. Satan nearly had it. Then then God said, well, let's have Noah's cataclysm. Let's see how good you are with this. And Satan, he has no power. He can't control it. We see in Job 1 and 2, where the curtain of reality is pulled aside. We see a conversation between uh, Satan and Christ. And I say Christ, though it says God, it's literally Christ. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And uh, Satan is given authority to act, but it's limited. Both times, he has no power. He's allowed to act. He challenged God. He criticized God. He posited negatives to God's abstracts. See Job, a righteous man. Now, he's righteous not because he saved that point. He's righteous because he's called God has already chosen him from before eternity, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, to be saved. He has God's mark on him, Ezekiel 8. And uh, Satan knows this, and he wants to keep Job from being saved. But recalcitrant reality, while he's trying to break Job down, reality breaks in. In the second age, recalcitrant reality unmasks Satan's simulacrum, i.e., the great tribulation as Satan is performing his great reset again. Now, I'm not saying the coming great reset is the heralding end of the great tribulation, anything like that. Anybody who tells you this is pulling it out their butt because we won't know it until it comes. Of that hour and time, no one can know. Do not fall into the trap of thinking you know. Christ did not know. Only the Father has that knowing, and he's not sharing it with us, just so you know. So if you're the date setter, if you're the, oh, it's coming, get ready for the tribulation, you've fallen into the trap, don't do that, don't go there, but it will come, Habakkuk 2, 2 and 3. Write it down, make it clear. It will come when it's supposed to come. It will happen. And so for all that Satan's trying to build up, God breaks in again with recalcitrant reality when he remakes the earth. Back to its antediluvian form. Then he comes. Then the third age. Millennial kingdom. Paradise on earth. Because Satan is bound. Satan and the the demons are bound. It's just man. Reproducing. Over and over and over. Producing loose sinners. Some are saved. Some are not. But Satan is released toward the end of that period and he gathers together again using the same emulacrum, the same methodology, criticizing God, pointing out the negatives, defining his purpose, equality for all, here and now. You don't have to wait. We just need to march across the land and remove the unbelievers. Recalcitrant reality breaks in. And Christ ends this creation. Now Satan knows this. He knows his time is short. Revelations 12. Critical theory is religion. Remember, these are transitioning simulacrums. And they're speeding by in modern time because Satan knows his time is short. And it's getting shorter. And he wants to get this going. He wants to get it established. And he's able to because of industrial revolution. He's able to because of digitization. You think that all these modern things and toys and technologies just spring from the mind of man? No. You read most of these things came into existence unplanned, by accident, spurts of inspiration. Satan is using it and bringing it together. Technology, the internet, digitization, central digital bank currencies, all of this is to bring us under his control with our consent. Remember the twentieth century was socialism by force, the Jezebel effect alone. It was an unmitigated disaster, by the death of millions per country. And America was no angel, no godly nation. The world wars are unnecessary. Do not be deceived. Critical theory is an old religion in new terminology mimicking Marx and Hegel and the corpus hermeticum and Gnosticism. Even modern philosophy is a simulacrum we analyzed in Eden. And we see it run throughout the scripture. Philosophy is a religion. It's a redefining of knowing, thus truth. Hence, all philosophers are false teachers, false prophets, if they do not teach Christ as a son of God come in the flesh, as we read earlier. The Balaam and Jezebel effect synergistically implements and refines his simulacrum, moving people to Satan's, along Satan's path from God's reality and eliminating dissenters. Families, community, nations form simulacrums that reinforce each other, that build upon each other. Your neighborhood is one simulacrum, but they build and they reinforce the, the regional simulacrum, which reinforces the state simulacrum, which reinforces the national simulacrum. And you're going to have division there. Satan is playing everyone off against the other to perfect the best. And to keep you occupied. Remember, he can't bring everyone under his control. He's not that powerful. He's not that good. And when it's all said and done, and we're on the other side of eternity future, we're going to look at him and say, this is the one? This is the guy? You're kidding. He looks like a worm. He is. He works through the power of his words. And we succumb to the power of his words. Families form their own. If you're outside that family and you're different, they will exclude you. You don't have the right simulacrum. If you're in that community and you're an outsider and you don't have the and you're not mouthing the right simulacrum, you will be excluded. You will be labeled. You will be tormented, bullied from the ground up, bottom up, but you also be labeled from the top down well, you're mentally retarded in old language or you have special needs. We're going to isolate you. We're going to retrain you. You know, when I homeschooled my children, people didn't care about their education. They only cared if they were socialized. How are your children being socialized? Now, unwittingly or not, they were stating the true purpose of the educational system. It was to turn Everyone into socialists. And they worked and they modified 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 until around the 1980s onward, they were turning the bulk of their students into little socialists. They were being socialized correctly, but they didn't care if they were being educated. They didn't care if they were learning right and wrong. They wanted to know, are they being socialized properly? Nope, they weren't. And sadly, so much children have since corrected that and have socialized themselves properly. I can only pray. Critical theory criticizes God's causes without details of the new simulacrum. It rejects the knowable for special knowing, Uh, circular reasoning, the bars, such as replaces sexes, Male, f- female. That which is noble with gender, the special knowing. My gender is whatever I say. That's the purpose of it. See, the the critical is that having only two, one must be subjected to the other. Now that's their lie. That's not God's truth. They were inter interdependent. Remember, different responsibilities, but interdependent filling in each other's needs, forming a complete unity. This is what the marriage is. This is what Christ in the body, the church, is supposed to be. But your gender is a made-up construct with the purpose of making women useless, replacing them. Thus, they are sold a bill of goods. They're moving from Satan's tent to no tent through circular reasoning. But reality differs. Recalcitrant reality does not go away. So it must be ignored. Thus we come to Satan's deep simulacrum reality, the logical fallacy delusion. And notice within the box now, we have behind this fuzzy, shadowy area the enslavement of man under benevolent socialism. Well, it's not really benevolent, but that's how they're selling it. That's the purpose. That is a simulacrum. And you see the Jezebel effect, the Balaam effect, Satan's path all reinforced but resting upon the negation of God's real. Under Satan's all-seeing eye of control. Now, it doesn't matter what representation of eye you put up there. You copy it off your $1 bill and throw it up there the mason. It's the same. Satan's simulacrum requires acceptance of logical fallacies over logic's laws. And we've discussed those multiple t- times in the past. Law of identity, the law of excluded middle. In other words, you either have faith in Christ or you have faith in Antichrist. Excluded middle. There is no n- n- neutral ground. Nowhere in Scripture. You're either born of Christ, born from above, or you are born of sin, conceived in sin, Psalms fifty-one five. God allows this delusion because sinners want a world without God, and God is not going to force himself down their throat. He's going to give them up three times, Romans 1, 18 through 32, and it permeates everything into every aspect of life, even to being disobedient to parents, is a function of sin. It's not cute. It's not cuteness. Oh, isn't she so cute? She just standing there shaking her little fist at her parents. It is just so cute seeing her defiant. Look at them throwing their fit. Well, he is just. And then they fill in the blank to justify their purpose of not disciplining. And the grandparents join in. And the aunts and the uncles join in. And they all become part and parcel of sending that child to hell. And they call it love. It's simulacrum. They have come under the siren's call of the false teachers, the philosophers, the false religionists of Christendom, the mythologies. And then through circular reasoning, they have taken it as their own. And they, I feel... It's right. I think it's right. False teachers enter churches via weak believers as viruses infecting his body. Christ warns believers to reject Satan's deep special knowing. It is foolishness. First Corinthians 1 18 through 31. Paul here calls the foolishness, the gospel foolishness to the world. And it is foolishness to them. They reject it. It makes no sense to them. But this is why it makes no sense to them. God's Spirit uses reasoned faith Bible to teach us true knowing and to reject mystic false knowing. Remember, reason is not I think. Reason is seeing reality, recalcitrant reality and Scripture. Recalcitrant reality and Satan's simulacrum. And reality is our empirical measuring rod. Through reason, we compare. What is the result of critical race theory? Well, it's violence and degradation. It's rioting in the streets. It's increasing violence of crime. Recalcitrant reality, that is what it produces. That's why we reject it. It's based on circular reasoning. That is why we reject it. we base stuff on the scripture, I'm not basing it on circular reasoning. God wrote the scriptures. That's faith. Now, if I have faith, but it's not based on the scripture, then I don't have faith in God, guided by God, taught by the Spirit. I have Satan's simulacrum faith. In other words, circular reasoning. God spoke to me. Why? Because I imagined I had this thought in my head. It has to be God because Christ was there. I saw him in my mind's eye. And we had this great talk about skipping through fields and having picnics. Whatever. No. That's not scripture. Scripture. God says, come, let us reason together. It's, you have, unlike what they claim, is that faith excludes reason and reason excludes faith, that is their critical lie to get you to accept their concrete delusion. God says, the abstract, the positive, come, let us reason together. Come, come to me. Here is the scriptures. And that is why they attacked the scriptures. Why they attacked Christ. That's why they attack you. You are the little light that shows their lie. Not because you mean to. That's not your purpose in life, is to run around and find everybody's sin, find out who's saved and who's lost. We're not to do that. We're not called to do that. We're called to stand, hypomaniae. We are the left behind ones. Why? So they see how Christ works. But if we take off the armor so we're not offensive, if we fall into their purposes so that Satan's fiery darts and we do not hide behind the shield of the word of God of faith, but we stand out there and embrace them as brothers and sisters, how do you know you're saved? Nobody likes being attacked, trust me. When I spoke earlier about that, uh, the mentally retarded and bullying and all that, that was from personal experience. Trust me, I've been there, and I had no allies, except at some point Christ used that to save me, and he wants to do the same to you. Thank you.